Are you a fan of fantasy role-playing? Looking for more D&D action outside your normal campaign? Do you enjoy laughing uncontrollably? Look no further than the You Meet in a Tavern podcast. Follow the continuing adventures of Tug, Durf, and Carl as Dungeon Master Joe leads them on the adventure of a lifetime. Work four 20-somethings with dull jobs by day, letting our inner nerd kids shine in our first ever 5th edition D&D campaign together. Fans are calling it a gripping tale with a talented cast, a large source of encouragement to get myself in my own D&D group, the funniest D&D podcast I've ever listened to. But don't take it from them. Check out You Meet in a Tavern for yourself on all your favorite podcast apps. That's You Meet in a Tavern, because every good story starts in a bar. Hello, Michael here with a quick disclaimer. The episode that you are about to listen to was originally recorded as a live event, meaning that it was recorded and streamed over our Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash the RPG Academy, or broadcast as a live event or recorded as a live event for our YouTube page, which is youtube.com slash the RPG Academy. Hopefully you will understand why the audio quality of this episode is not quite up to the same standards you have come to appreciate and expect from our show. And on the off chance that when you listen to this episode, you don't really notice a difference between this episode and a regular episode, don't say anything, because that will make me cry. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Attention live from the RPG Academy. I, of course, am Michael, also known as Professor Fluff around these parts. And joining me tonight is Monkey Pie Quinn, I think, on Twitter. Yeah, that's it. Quinn Wilson, uh, amazing vocal talent, GM to the stars, uh, Swallows <laughs> of the South podcast, proud member of the RPG Academy. Quinn, Very. how are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing wonderfully, thank you. How are you, Michael? I'm not doing too bad either. Um Hold on. So anyone who's been around for a while uh, knows that I've been having like a little bit of health issues. Like my, I just have this like persistent cough I can't seem to get rid of. And it seems like it has something to do with the basement. So I'm thinking it must be allergy based. Uh, Cause again, I have all these like moving blankets hung up to kind of make a room. And I'm thinking that that might be aggravating it because I wasn't down here for almost two solid weeks. I got really sick. I had strep throat. Uh, so I canceled all kinds of podcasting things. I just didn't do anything for two weeks and I got much better last night. I came down to the basement. Now it's back. So must be something to do with, uh, dust or mold or something like that. Uh, so the reason I say that is I'm getting ready to cough now. <clears throat> so if I mute myself while I'm hacking, that's the goal is that you won't hear me do that, but you still might see me going through the motions. Of course. <laughs> a cough in the basement. Some might say that you're down with the sickness. Yes, some <laughs> might say that. Uh, so it looks like we got a couple people. Dirty Habanero jumped in. Shortmanian444. Hello, welcome to the show. Uh, we're sort of just kind of... What's the word I'm looking for? Vamping? No. Uh, Exploring this space. No. <laughs> when procrastinating, not procrastinating, but when you're just kind of like trying to feel time, 
Isn't there a word? Is for that the- not vamping? I thought that was vamping. Oh, maybe that's an industry term. I don't know. Uh, but Scott is supposed to join us any second. Delaying that would be yes. I'm delaying because Scott's supposed to join us here in just a couple minutes, and I don't want to get too far in and then have to like start all over. Uh, so we thought we would just talk to you guys who are here in chat. So yeah. uh, how's things going? So I'll, I'll move back to you, Quinn. So what's uh, what's been going on with you? Um, uh, a lot, I guess. Um, I'm always in the middle of a bunch of projects. Um, I'm coming up on a 90-day review at a promotion at my job. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Uh, I'm tearing through a lot of media for a review podcast that I'm in the process of starting. Um, trying to find time to um, spend time that's not working on something, for sure. Maintaining that work-life balance when all you do when you get home from work is work more on other projects. Yes, that has been my life now for about six years, it seems like. Uh, and it's bad enough with the podcast, which I I say jokingly is a part-time job, but that's really not a joke. I probably spend 20 hours a week, most weeks, on the mm-hmm. podcast in some form or another. And then oh, yeah. you had a catacomb on top of that. I'm basically working three jobs right now, uh, and I'm only getting paid for one of them. So yep. Yep. I, I'm getting to think that I may not be right in the head. Uh, Dirty Habanero says congrats on uh, the job. And, oh, thank you. Uh, Ian says it's only 30 days to a catacon. That's right. Yeah. 30 days from today. Unless you're VIP, then it's 29 because we do a thing on Thursday night. Yeah, so. I'll be there. You will be there. You're one of our special guests. So are you doing anything special as a special guest? Uh, I'm running a couple games uh, that I've written, but... Aside from that, I don't have anything super-duperty special planned, but the whole experience itself is special, and I will probably have a lot of time to stock the halls and try to make those special moments. Yeah, I, um, you know, and I've, I've, we've talked a lot about it, and anybody who's listened to other podcasts, I know I'm just rehashing some stuff, but as someone who sort of sees themselves in the role of a provider, that just my natural tendencies. I want to GM. I want to GM at my house. I want to have the events at my house uh, to be able to create a thing that has connected with other people in that way is it is humbling and it's just amazing. Like I, it's just, well, it's just like when you get a review for your podcast, I know you know how that feels. It's just mm-hmm. like the validation, you know, again, I'm paying that I don't get paid for these jobs, but I do get paid in when someone says, a catacomb is my favorite convention or, you know, your podcast got me started playing games with my kid, whatever. Those are the things that just make it all worthwhile. I just oh, wish, yeah. wish they were a little closer together sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel you. And I have a problem where sometimes, especially in the show's email. So I'm sorry to literally anyone who's ever emailed the show. If I get a, an email and I can see in the first couple lines of there that there is like a hint of praise Sometimes I will just go flush and close my email and then wait several weeks or months before I feel like emotionally ready to open that up and deal with the impact that I may have had on people. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. I, I'm sort of the same way. Again, we're going to get to some deep psychology here. Like when we have Christmas with my wife's family, they're, they're very crazy traditional, as I like to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's like someone gets to play Santa Claus Everybody gets a present. Everyone opens one. 
everybody gets another one, that kind of thing. I like to try to like open mine on the sly because I don't want see people to see me open them, especially if I like it. Like I don't, there's something about the vulnerability of, of yeah. letting them know that they got something I wanted and I'm, and they made me happy. And that's so weird that I just, I'm I don't want people to see that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I've got some social <laughs> and general anxieties and that definitely channels into that sort of thing. Like, yeah, I I will generally, if I can, wait to open a gift until I'm in a private right. setting. Like I'll let the person know, like, oh, thank you very much. Uh, and I know that sometimes that feels rude to people, but yeah, there is a very distinct level of vulnerability that that brings that isn't always super comfortable, even with people that you're close with. Right, and it's not like this is an office party. Like this is my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so weird. Uh, so I want to say hello to Jared. Jared said hello. I don't know that I've seen you around before, so if this is your first time, uh, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. And uh, anyone else that's out there who's listening or watching, if you haven't already said hi in chat, please do. Let us know you're there. Say hello. Uh, we won't bite unless you want us to. Um, so it looks like uh, Dirty Habanero was close to coming to a catacon, and then some car troubles and some illness with uh, stepfather kind of got in the way so hopefully well, everybody's doing well yeah oh so scott should be here any second oh hey Bender yeah. death so do you have the chat up quinn you may want to do that i should probably pull up twitch yeah i try to do like my best to try to catch them and, and mention them but i probably will miss some uh, so it might just be a little bit easier. We also are on YouTube, but uh, mine pulls all of them together. It aggregates all the comments. Uh, not that I know that anyone's watching on YouTube, but uh, there you go. So Jared said this is the first time uh, actually, he actually, he's on YouTube. Uh, usually he watches on Twitch. Oh. So Jared, you'll have to tell us, is it is it a better experience on YouTube? Is there a reason why you decided to go there? Uh, so maybe we can uh, help other people out. Pardon me while I hack my lungs up. Alrighty. So what else is new with you, Quinn? Um, geez, I'm thinking about it. Um, I've been commissioned to do some art pieces that I'm finishing up right now. The boys from System Mastery are going out to Chicago. Uh, People might know that I GM their Gamma Crawl X game for them. And they're going to be participating in the Dungeon Dome with James D'Amato. And I have been commissioned to do the character art for them. So I'm trying to get that finished up. If not this evening, sometime tomorrow before I go to work. Because sometimes I have to work like strange or late hours. So I go into work at 3 p.m. tomorrow. Okay. So I've got time in the morning. Alrighty. So it seems like there might be some issues with Twitch. So if I'm reading the chat right, it looks like YouTube is working, but Twitch may not be. So anyone who's watching, if you're having trouble on Twitch, uh, you may want to jump over to uh, YouTube. Hey, look, it's Scott. Howdy. Howdy, Scott. How are y'all doing this evening? We're doing great. How are y'all doing? Uh, Oh, I'm I'm all doing uh, right good, I I suppose. Oh, let there be light. Yes, let let there there indubitably be light. 
you know, just getting home from work. But uh, what did I miss? Exciting, terrifying, thrilling adventures? Uh, we've mostly just been uh, delaying, sort of trying to keep things going until you got here. So I'm, I'm glad because uh, everyone knows that I am the life of the party and, and without me. are, in fact, the life of the party. Uh, so one thing we can check is uh, how is the audio tonight? We're still trying to line it up so that our audio volumes are close to the same because it makes it easier on me editing later, but also for the quality of the YouTube uh, upload later. So uh, I'll say hello. Scott, say hello. Hello. And then Quinn, say hello. Hello. So those listening, are those hellos close together in volume? Targris says yes. So fantastic. So we will jump into things with both feet at this point. So Scott, what you drinking? Ah, uh, my uh, glass is empty. I uh, ran literally from the auto shop for my flat tire today to uh, uh, jump on. So, so I didn't have time to get anything to drink. I'm drinking air. Drinking air. It's very sad and lonely. I bet it costs like five bucks a bottle too, doesn't it? Oh, it's the most expensive. I mean, it's California air, right? There's like a <laughs> tax on it or something. And with these fires, it's uh, really hard to come by. You, uh, there have been a run on the stores for California bottled air. Oh, yeah. I, I've been living in that California air most of my life, and I know how it gets, especially uh-huh. when there's several fires in your county. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little crazy. So hopefully both of you are safe. I know you're out that way, but I don't think you're in the line of fire. Pun not intended, I guess. I'm very far out of the way down here in San Diego. It was like uh, 79 degrees today, which is oh nice for October. Yeah, that's so lovely. Um, we're we're in the way of the the plume. Uh, so so we get a lot of horrible toxic air that that uh, you know. I guess the city or county was texting individual asthma sufferers and suggesting they don't leave the house for any reason. Oh wow. Um, but uh, it's not near as bad as it is uh, north of the, the bay where there's actually people's homes and livelihoods on fire. So yeah. I have no room to complain. A- absolutely not. Uh, so, Quinn, what are you drinking tonight, sir? I am, I'll say this, I'm disappointed. I was not able to procure coffee as I had intended to drink. But instead, I am, from the bottle I usually drink it from, drinking water. <laughs> So we got two waters and an air. Man, we are really bringing That's, the party tonight. We're, we're, oh, we're yeah. Uh, yeah, a happening bunch. It's going to be lit. Nice. <laughs> All righty. So we got a few more people that have jumped into chat. Uh, P Dragon 83, or PB Dragon, sorry. Um, I think Jared jumped in. Another? No, oh, Justin, sorry. Justin jumped in. Um, so again, welcome to everybody. Hopefully. You'll stick around. Uh, at the end, we do some question and answers. So if you have any questions you'd like to ask us, we'll get to those at the end. Uh, and by um, – man, my brain is not working tonight. Um, I'll get there. I know, man. My Seriously, brain not working. So with that out of the way, let's move into 10 things. You got here just in time, Scott. It's my favorite part of the show. It's everyone's favorite part of the show, except for the other favorite part of the show, which is the rest of the show. Or the rest of the show. So, since you're you just jumped, well, actually, I'll go with Quinn. You're the you're technically the guest tonight. Would you like to give the prompt first or receive the prompt first? I would love to receive a prompt. Okay, Scott, do you want to give or do you want me to give? 
Yes. No, I, I can, I can do this. I'm not that, that rusty. I swear. All right, Quinn, uh, 10 things that, uh, they didn't, they, they, they had to write out of the Lord of the Rings because they were just a little too for kids. A little too what for kids? Eh, for yeah. kids. Eh. Okay. Yeah. Um, Goblins with teeth for eyes, number one. <laughs> one. Cannibalistic orcs, number two. Two, yeah. Number three, mega shelob. Three. Just doubling down on shelob. Um, <laughs> As you do. Number four, the eagles from Lord of the Rings, but they cry. <laughs> <laughs> all the time for all no good time. reason? Yeah, all, they just weep. They're the weeping eagles. <laughs> I... I I see what you did. There. Uh, number five, Gandalf the White, spelled W H Y T E, who has adopted a form of Socratic questioning, where <laughs> it was very, very frustrating to young readers. Is mostly the problem in that case. Yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, uh, number six, Urukai, who spoke weed all the time. <laughs> six. Yeah, yeah. Urukai. Uh, Number seven, um, warg pigs. Seven. They're just wargs, but they're pigs. But they're warg pigs, yeah. yeah. Number eight, um, hobbits also used to have incredibly large, hairy, sweaty hands. <laughs> didn't, didn't think that's where you were going with, yeah. with that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, number nine, the elves, but very racist. <laughs> <laughs> so elves. Yeah, I mean, just again, just like Mega Shelob doubling down on that element. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then, obviously, everybody knows about the one scene with all the drowned dwarves. Yeah, yeah that, those are ten things. Those are ten things. Awesome. All right, Quinn, you can prompt either myself or Scott, your dealer's choice, and we'll go from there. All right. Um, I will go for Scott, I guess, and I will say... 10 things from the members only section of the magic item shop. Uh, well, uh, number one, the smoking jacket. One. Of course. Uh, number two, the, the matching smoking underpants. Two. Uh, number three, the, uh, the, the members only card that gets you into the members only shop that oh, they only sell inside the members only shop, thus creating a, uh, an issue. Right. Paradox. Three. Uh, -huh. uh, number four, a, uh, 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 the real bag of holding, not the the one that gives you backdoor access to all your stuff. Uh, number five, the, uh, the maybe uh, a cursed ring that uh, everyone knows it's cursed, and then you can give it to other people who are not members, of course, and and it causes them to make very poor decisions. All of the bar. Five. Uh, yeah. Uh, number six. Uh, um, <laughs> the. Uh, the uh, one true ring, uh, they, they have it up, up on the wall. Uh, you know, it wasn't actually destroyed. One of the members solved it. It's kind of a mento thing. Six. Uh, yeah. The, then, of course, the, uh, the uh, stilts of holding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, they also have a, uh, a street sign. It's a magically imbued street sign. And wherever you put it, it tells you the street you're on. It's for the incredibly lost members. Eight. That's awesome. I like to have that. Uh, yeah, and uh, then, uh, of course, you have um, uh, everybody's favorite vice president, uh, Gore. Nine. 
Yep, because he invented the members-only shop. And then uh, after that, you just have a whole lot of goblins. Just just hordes and hordes of goblins all shopping there, because that's where I'll be Yay, Ted, those are 10 things. So mm-hmm. quick shout-out to uh, N.Y. Tater. Uh, he is working to help the Hurricane um, Irma and Maria victims. So thank you very much for doing the, doing the good works. Way more than a golf clap. Nice. Thank mm-hmm. you. All righty. Scott? Uh, yeah. Okay. So, so Michael. Yeah. Ten things that uh, you you'd planned for this upcoming Catacon and almost got them in, but you just not quite. Um, the hologram Gary Gygax rap battle showdown. <laughs> One. D and D sixth edition, which I know about. They are currently working on. Two. Um. I got two really good ones, and now I'm dead. Um, uh, <laughs> free Wi-Fi. <laughs> um, it's the truth. Chairs. <laughs> oh, it's gonna it's gonna be a lot of standing, folks. Yeah, it's a lot of standing. Uh, treadmill desks. No, oh, that would be good. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, water dispensers thingies. Because those things are drinking ex- fountains. Yes, they're expensive. They're like seventy five bucks each. <laughs> Like what the hell? Um, Six. Crystal. <laughs> Seven. Uh, Wendy's. Eight. Those Ooh. go together very well. They do good catering. Uh, a drone that looks like a beholder that would just fly around the room. I love it. Just just because. Yes. Nine. Um, and um, a bunch of goblins wearing the nacho salsa hats as they walk around table <laughs> to table. Ten. Ten. Those are ten things. Those are ten things. So I guess I, we're probably going out of order, but I think we've already kind of covered extracurricular, but we'll do it officially because Scott wasn't here. So we'll start with you, Scott. What you been up to the last couple weeks? Oh, uh, well, uh, what haven't I been up to? My um, my uh, long-term life partner is out of the country for six weeks, oh, and this wow. is uh, now uh, getting close to week two. Mm-hmm. And we're uh, I'm, I was proud to find out that, that I do in fact still know how to entertain myself, but I was depressed to find out that those skills date from an earlier period of my life when I had to. And so, uh, most of the weekends I've just been staying up literally until past on playing Diablo. Like, uh, <laughs> I've just regressed back into undergrad, right? Or high school where, uh, all I did was not sleep and play video games and sit around in my underpants. So, um, I guess it's not that different from one of my partners here, but it feels a lot less satisfying without her. So, um, so uh, that's that's the big thing I've been doing is 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 searching for my own version of solo adulthood. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Dirty Habanero asked Diablo or Diablo three. Oh, uh, yeah. I can't play original Diablo anymore because I don't want to walk to hell. I prefer a brisk jog at the very least. Uh, walking's just, just not, not an option. I'm too impatient now. Um, uh, plus all those late hacksaws. And, uh, yes. Yeah, so, so Diablo three, I got really into season 11. I've never been into any of the seasons before. Uh, I've, uh, never, uh, I don't know. It's been very satisfying. And I started with uh, a girlfriend before she went out of town and I was like, I'm going to finish the season without her. And I totally did. So it's good. All right. So for a complete noob here, where's Diablo two? Uh, it's also great. Um, it's also an option, I assume. Dirty Habanero just uh, didn't mention it because oh, okay. not mentioning it. I but, thought it was like, um, might have been like a Raiders of Lost Ark, Indiana Jones thing. Like it was kind of we a don't sequence, speak of it. but you know, it wasn't in numerical or whatever. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think I no, played Diablo funny. one time for like an hour, and I was like, nah, 
quit. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's basically D&D. You kill monsters and take their stuff. It's just an extremely tight loop of that, like the most <laughs> efficient possible cycle of killing monsters and taking their right, stuff. Which is my least favorite thing about role-playing games. So. <laughs> well, okay, yeah. yeah. All right, so Quinn, what about you? What have you been up to, buddy? Uh, lots. Um, primarily, I'll look to media touchstones. I've been watching a lot of Riverdale recently, um, which is a show that is a magnificent garbage fire. Mm. I can't say that it's good, but I also can't say that I don't like it. Um, I'm starting a Riverdale review podcast in the near oh. future. Reviews and River Don'ts. <laughs> One Rob Stith from the Orpheus Protocol. So nice. Look forward to that. We're so, actually about to record our finale episode of the first season. So is is it a strict translation of the comic? I mean, is it just Archie and hamburgers the whole time? Pretty much. Well, if you include elements of um, Twin Peaks, there's like town murders and brooding musical numbers. Um, so it's a loose adaptation, I would say. But also, I haven't read the entire run of Archie comics, so I couldn't <laughs> tell you if you know they're making some cuts from like the 70s or yeah, something. They're taking some liberties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, they're they're really cutting and patching together those comics to make it yeah. to make the adaptations. Saying, well, you know, when you have so much source material and you really need to adapt it to a new medium, you, you gotta you gotta get creative. That's Absolutely. right. Um, and aside from Riverdale, uh, they just released the last bit of DLC for the video game Neo, which I enjoyed a heck of a lot. So I've been kind of coming back to that and playing that. Sweet. Alrighty, so uh, as for myself, as we kind of touched at the top, I've been really busy with the Catacon stuff, uh, but that's old news. Everybody knows about that. Uh, I have been doing a rewatch of the Supernatural TV show. Uh, I really liked it when it first came out, and I I just kind of assumed that it was over because it had been going on so long, and then I just found out, no, it's actually coming back now for its 13th season. And I'm like, geez, OP, I can't, there's no way. So I've started over all the way on episode one, watching every episode. Uh, I'm middle of season eight currently. So uh, there's definitely some really good episodes and there's some really bad ones. But I also, um, I found a podcast I want to give a little shout out to. It's called The Plaid Cast, uh, because the boys often wear plaid. And it's two young ladies who are... Uh, highly educated. They're they're both like literary teachers, and they they break down the show as if they were actual people. So they don't like talk about the show like what happened. It's like what would be going on in in Dean's head to make him say that, and they like really kind of psychoanalyze the characters, and it's just it is really really well done. Uh, I'm very very glad I found the podcast. I've been listening to it. I've pretty much caught up with all of their episodes now. But I'm further ahead than they are. They're going through every episode. But uh, but definitely, if you're interested in Supernatural, please check out the podcast. You will not be disappointed. Um, and then I also have been watching uh, The Gifted, which is the new uh, Fox Marvel's X-Men Universe show. Pilot was okay. Um, halfway through the second episode, it's also okay. So I'm not, like, hooked yet. But uh, I'm going to stick around a few more episodes and see if, see if it'll grab a hold of me. Can I say for just a moment of course. that I don't know if I appreciate or am personally offended by the very obvious and direct pot shot Fox is making at naming that show The Gifted instead of 
something like mutants, which they have the legal rights to and have been very aggressively boxing Marvel Studios out of using. Hmm. Hmm. So you think that's some shades sent their way? I have trouble reading it as anything but. Nice. <laughs> just, just, just taking away other possible names from the space of possible names that you get to use. Yes. Yep. Nice. Very that. Very that's being very strategic with your intellectual property. So the pan- that's that's box. like an intellectual property monopoly. That's what they're playing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the Panda Death asked about Orville because I've mentioned that the last couple episodes. Yeah, I uh, I watched the third episode. I thought it was really good. I watched the fourth episode. I really liked that one. Uh, it's not what I expected. It's basically Star Trek: The Next Generation with an occasional joke, but it's it's not a comedy. It's literally really? an homage to Star Trek: The Next Generation uniforms. The, 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 the like even like they go in and out of scenes for commercial breaks. I mean, it's almost like, how are they getting away with it? It's so close. But I love Star Trek The Next Generation, so it's pretty cool. Hmm. And uh, we haven't had a new good Star Trek in eternity, so why not? I guess there was room. As long as they don't use the specific names. Yeah, which they, I mean, it's it's definitely not, it's, you know, it's like the B version, I guess, because it's, you can tell it's just not quite there, but. I'm really enjoying it. Um, so hmm. I'm definitely sticking with that one. And uh, the the phrase I could not think of was popular demand. That's how bad my brain is. So we had a question that we asked to one of our guests recently that everyone really enjoyed. So by popular demand, it is now going to become an official segment we're going to ask everybody. Ah. So when we get to the end, there will be one question that everyone will always get and then any more that come up. All right. So with that, we will move into used books. Uh, The idea here is we're going to take a look back at a campaign that we played in, probably one that might have uh, failed spectacularly. And the idea is like any good used book, we're going to look for notes in the margins, see what we can kind of glean from the experience and do better next time. Quinn, you are the guest. Do you have a campaign you want to talk about? Yeah, I've covered a lot of my notable failed campaigns on previous detentions. Um, Today, I'm going to talk about a campaign that wasn't necessarily like a catastrophic failure. Um, It went from its start to its end. It just didn't really hit the beats um, Hmm. that Hmm. well. Um, I was playing a game of Hunter the Vigil that I ran with a group of people that were pulled from my local university. I... Did some looking for a group. Um, I actually think that I used our university subreddit because I'm a, I'm a youth uh, who uses the internet and all of that new social media stuff. So we pulled together this group from Reddit, uh, had people vote essentially on some takes of campaigns they were interested in, played this game of Hunter, and... I had like a loose framework. I had the the plot hook. I had an idea for the terminus of the campaign. But a lot of the interstitial stuff I didn't have planned out or beat it out all that well, um, which didn't couple that well with some differing player expectations. And then some people who were just generally new to the hobby learning the learning the ropes of tabletop gaming. Um, So some of the preferred aesthetics of play of some of the old hats versus some of the people who were newer to the hobby created some um, 
conflicting forces in the directions that the campaign was tempted to be pulled in. And it ultimately resulted in what I would call the opposite of the usual formula of one of my games, which is to say that I usually start off a game relatively lighthearted and comedic, and they tend to then descend into a place of darkness and intensity. Whereas this game started in a relatively dark and intense place and ended with one of the characters in the final boss battle being pushed off of a building, rising from the dead, as the boys are back in town started swelling up over uh, the soundtrack uh, and sliding us into the ending montage of that game. Nice. Um, But ultimately, it wasn't a dramatic failure or anything. It was just a failure to execute on promising themes that were present in the game and Hmm. to get everyone adequately on board with what expectations were. Hmm. Okay. So looking back on it, on what you did, maybe what you didn't do, uh, what would you do differently if you were to do basically the same thing again, but what tweaks could you make to try to make a more satisfying game for you and the players? Um, make sure that you're really invested in any prompts that you put out if you put them out for people to like select from. That was sort of like my... I wanted four options, and that was kind of like my bottom of the bag, like... Yeah, this seems interesting enough, but for some reason it's the one that took. And then if you have anything that's resu- like <sighs> mystery plots can be very, very difficult, and I don't necessarily think that the right way to write a mystery. Um, some people do believe this. I think that the angry GM is a very open advocate of the idea that if you're going to write a mystery, you need to have a solid answer in mind and to um plot and set things around that. I'm not necessarily 100% on board with that. I think that you can be flexible and you can adapt to expectations, but you do need to make sure that you have the the general beats or points that the mystery needs to hit, where the switchbacks and reveals and turns are, so that you can build to and execute them. And then on a more meta level, I did do a session zero for that game. Take a drink. Uh, I need a little bell sound for that too. Ding! <laughs> uh, Quinn, the man, man of a thousand voices and sound effects. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, buy my Foley tapes. But I did do a session zero for that game. But I think especially when you're starting a group with only one person that you know, and it's a mix of old and new players, you should probably be checking in more regularly. And like, what are you guys liking? What are you not liking? Are there any things that you feel like could change? And those conversations can be difficult, and it can be difficult to prompt useful responses out of people. Sometimes people will give you sort of generic, socially safe answers of, no, everything's fine. But it can also be useful in that case, especially if you are uh, a hip, modern person who uses the suite of tools available to you through the internet to do things like allowing players to fill out an anonymous form between sessions in a way that will allow you to garner feedback and calibrate around 
what is and is not working for the group and to determine points where desired aesthetics of play may be coming into conflict so that you can have a discussion about where those lie outside of the table so that you can have everyone on relatively the same page or everyone aligned enough that people can have a satisfying enough gaming experience. All right. So there's, there's a couple of things that I want to circle back to and talk about. <clears throat> the first I want to talk about actually is about the mystery thing. Uh, we've actually had angry on our show a couple times and once was specifically about running mysteries. So if anybody's interested in hearing that interview, I think it's like episode 60 something. It's one of the faculty meetings. It's called running mysteries, the angry way. And um, I'm, I'm somewhat of the, the, the belief that kind of like you, where you need certain things set so that you don't get lost in the weeds. And then it turns out like it makes no sense when you finally reveal, they're like, wait, that makes like, you've completely screwed this up. But I also want to be flexible enough that I can make some changes. And like for, for me, an example that would be, let's say the Baron murdered the other Baron. Sure. Okay. So I know the Baron did it. That's not going to change. Mm-hmm. But maybe through role play, I'm making stuff up and we're going on. Maybe the motivation changes. Maybe one of the players is like, well, you know, the, the well or the gold mine is drying up. I bet this has something to do with like a land grab. Sure it does. Like that might be more interesting than what I had planned already. So the, the who, the what, the when, the how, you know, the why may or the how may not change, but the why certainly can if the players take it in a different direction. Well, I mean, for mysteries, right? You you need to you need to have a, a skeleton, right? Uh, the, the 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 full structure planned out, like oh, you know, it looks about this, and it's about this long, and this wide, and this heavy, right? And it eats these kinds of things. That's a skeleton, right? But mm-hmm. I mean, then the, the the players are the the tendons, and the what comes out in game is the meat, right? I mean, that fills it all out, like organs and things. Th- those come up, right? You you just have this this uh, a clear outline where where fundamentally you know what it's gonna look like, but you can still get surprises, right? Like poison glands. I had never planned for that, right? That is not in this structure that I composed, but it totally can fit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah, Targris is talking about that it's absolutely cool to steal ideas from their players, especially when they're better than yours, which which happens quite a lot, uh, at least for me anyways. So I definitely want to you know, advocate having the, the bones of it, as Scott said, have the structure, but it's okay to, to change things based on the game. Now, I was actually very recently in a kind of an elongated Twitter conversation with uh, another podcaster, uh, Lex Starwalker, I think is his name. And we went back and forth and he was pretty adamant against going with what a player's idea is. But I think what we finally got around to was that there was a difference of understanding that I'm not saying if a player says, oh, I bet it was the Baron, that I go, yes, you're right. And that ends the scene or the, the session. But in my head, I may go, oh, you know, if it's the Baron, that's actually more interesting. Mm-hmm. And it still may be five epi- or five sessions later before they solve that mystery. But I'm now going to lay new clues. I'm going to take the old clues that kind of fit to the Baron, and I'm going to lay more out so that it does make more sense. I'm going to reinforce that. So it's not like it's an instant I win button when the players just come up with some crazy idea. You're like, yep. It, it just sort of changes the path a little bit, and you reward them for their thought processes. Right. And I think that that's relatively important. And something that is also important to me in terms of incorporating player feedback, even if you have your skeleton, and there's a reason I phrased what I said about the way that I build mysteries and plots very specifically, is that you need to know where your arcs, like your arcs and your beats and your your pieces of pacing are like. I'm very narratively oriented. And 
it's dissatisfying both to consume media in which and then to participate in media in which everything you do is wrong. Like if every guess you have or every lead you follow is a red herring or a dead end, that's dissatisfying. And it might be true to what you have pre-established has to have happened for everything to be going in one way or with what you have in your notes, which no one else might ever see. Um, so you want to be able to give people those hits, like those successes, so that the entire arc of the mystery isn't downward. And to the same end, you don't want them to consistently get everything perfectly right. You don't want it to go just straight up and then you hit your climax and it's done. You want uh, switchbacks and like backpedaling. So it can be interesting to incorporate and then twist or to disincorporate player feedback in order to create a successful or gripping pace so that people are failing and succeeding in a a narratively compelling way. Yeah, that 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 um it's it's really rewarding as a player when when you guess and guess right. But you don't want to guess right every time, right? And and having those uh, shocking twists is also great, right? When mm-hmm. when uh, I mean, j- just as when players have a hunch, you could be like, "That's a really great hunch, right? I should run with that." Um, if if they all have kind of a hunch that's a tacit assumption, like you say, it can be great to just turn that on them, right? Like like I can I can let them stay comfortable in this hunch for a while and then rob them of it shockingly, <laughs> right? It can be revealed like, this hunch was wrong, right? Or that it was right and doesn't that suck? <laughs> oh god i hope it's not the baron well guess who it is <laughs> well, one of the things i want to i'll give lex uh, credit for as well we when we were again we were having our misunderstandings before we came to understand what each of us was saying is he was saying rather than letting the players be right if they come up with an a, you know the clues are supposed to point to the baron but because of something i've said and, and did maybe the clues actually point towards the butler well let the players stick with that Maybe they confront the butler. Maybe they arrest the butler. Maybe they end up killing the butler, but it wasn't the butler. It was the Baron. And then later they find out, oh, wait, we convicted the wrong person or we killed the wrong person. That can be a fun game as well. I mean, you don't like the sensation of losing, but that makes the world feel more lived in, more realistic, where it's not, yes, you're going to get to the end of the scenario and it's going to be that person. Uh, so there is something to say with, you know, if they, if they start picking up clues you didn't mean to, and it definitely points to a certain person. You don't have to change the mystery so that it is that person. Maybe just let them kind of take that road to the end and see what lies. But because well, the last second switch around is a Michael classic. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you definitely you you want to make sure that that journey is satisfying. If if they are going to the wrong place, and you certainly don't want them to say like kill the butler and then have the Baron step in at the end and just laugh and go. <laughs> It was me the whole time. <laughs> you just killed that man for no reason. <laughs> and it's like, why would he do... Like, he was hiding it so well. So, yeah, it, it's all about satisfaction. And sometimes satisfaction or interesting narrative doesn't mean success, I would say. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and then the other thing I would say about mysteries... Uh, one of the things that I, I just, it's just a Michael thing is I will often throw out details that seem specific, but they're just random. Like I'm just making them up, but, but 
they're interesting enough that people will hook on them and just to see what they do with it. You know, they find a letter and it's clearly written by someone with, in, with the left hand or it's written in an ancient version of, of Orc, or the, this person has really green eyes. Just lose little details that I just throw them out there. And again, the players will start putting connections together that may have nothing to do with your story, but it, it can help you build off of what they're thinking. Yeah, and that's something that I tend to do even when I'm not running mysteries. And I use a lot of filmic language when I GM. And one of the things that I find to be evocative and is a great way to BS your way into sounding like you are able to create like visual themes or metaphors is to pull camera focus to things that seem resonant with the tone of a scene or will maybe in retrospect feel like they were significant when you were just kind of like, yeah, let's pull to the curtains. Let's look at that tapestry weave. Like, so that single splash of blood, that shadow of that, that medium height, medium build figure with the dagger in the night. <laughs> so it's funny that you mentioned that actually, that was one of the first things that I noticed about your podcast when we were back originally, you know, listening to see if we wanted to invite you into the network is the, the way you used, I, I would call it like TV language or movie language. Um, and in particular, and I, I, I'm probably going to screw it up, but I, I just really enjoyed it where the camera like focused on one of the characters backs and then you immediately transitioned to a scene and when the camera moved back, now they were in a different location. And yeah, I play a lot with that stuff. And I thought that was great. Like I thought that was such a cool way to transition. And, and I've started doing more of that. And I, and I credit your show for some of it. You're certainly not the only one to do that. Yeah. I uh, took a lot of inspiration from cat cool and then kind of ran with some of those elements and fleshed them out into my own thing. Uh, but I definitely, you turn it to her. I do that as well. Sometimes I'll even just say, what does the camera see? Like when I'm talking to a player, like mm -hmm. as you're doing this, what does the camera see? Because mm -hmm. uh, I think most people watch TV and movies and they have an instinctive understanding of that, whether, you know, they just know, oh, okay, well, the camera's going to zoom up on my face as I'm, you know, ciphering or on my hands as I'm picking the lock or whatever. And it's just kind of an interesting way to kind of give them the power of narrative control. It's more like they're more like a cinematographer. They just get to tell what the camera's at for a little bit. I'm still mm -hmm. telling the story, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. All right. So the other thing I wanted to talk about, which is more directly related to your example of the campaign, mm -hmm. is you went straight into a campaign with people you didn't know very well. Mm -hmm. And this has come up several times in shows I've been on and, and that kind of thing. And I think my advice these days is if you can, start with a couple one-shots. Like put the group together, play a one-shot of a couple different games, kind of fill the group out before you start a campaign with people you don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because, like I said, I did do a, a session zero and I asked people very specific questions about preferred play styles and orientation. But the thing about asking people questions about stuff like that is they might tell you something other than what their actual preferences are for various different reasons, including the fact that they think that what they want is what they put down, but what they actually want is something different. I think Jim stated versus revealed preferences. Yep. Ugh. But then there's also like social desirability bias, et cetera, et cetera, that might influence responses. But especially, yeah. So I definitely think easing into one shot so that you can solidify play chemistry and then uncover through play uh, 
preferred uh, gameplay orientation is probably pretty useful. Yeah, I can't think. I've I've never started a campaign with a bunch of strangers as the DM. Um, I don't think so. I don't think. I remember the podcast we might have done that. Uh, but I've added people into an existing campaign that you know we had a, an opening and just someone met on the internet or the game store or a friend of the friend comes over, and it can be very off-putting when you kind of have an established feel tone to the game everyone kind of is in sync and then you have this new player that just doesn't know their place yet in the in the group as well as mm-hmm. the game um, right so even th- even then i think it would be you know in a perfect world we would do a one shot with that new player that maybe is like non-canonical like same characters but like a flashback or a flash yeah. sideways or something before you add them into the game because i've had a couple people that i added in and like two sessions ends, i'm like this is not working and, you know, they end up having to leave because it just was not working for the game at all. It was going to destroy it. But but I didn't know that because I didn't test out the waters. I just let them jump in. Right, right, right. And that's very, very true. Um, since then, I've done a lot more very specific curating of most of my my gameplay. Honestly, I play with people who I know, who I trust, not because of that specific instance. I actually did a follow-up game with those people that had to kind of end relatively early, but we had one of the players that was in that game didn't return, and he was probably the person with the most divergent preferences. And so we just went pretty whole hog into the silly aspects of things for this like three-session Edge of the Empire campaign we ran, and that was a lot of fun. It wasn't narratively satisfying necessarily, but it was a lot of very silly fun with Inquisitor Tom Cruise and his Erglick Tower. <laughs> and again, if you're having fun, right? It's all oh, right. yeah, absolutely. So what about you, Scott? Have you had any examples of running the game for strangers, jumping maybe jumping into a game as a player with strangers? Uh, yeah, certainly. Uh, when I first moved to Phoenix, I uh, jumped into a game with strangers, and that was probably my first big experience with that. And uh, I think the biggest surprise that I had with it was was just that that um, you know this this was uh, before uh, really a lot of live streaming of D and D was a thing, right? And so nobody learned by watching the professionals or or the the staple. Everyone learned whatever like local group. Um, dialect of D&D that you play, right? Mm-hmm. And, and everyone's having fun, so everyone's doing it right, but you don't realize that you're all doing it very differently. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the the group I ended up with, they, they played, I've used them as a couple of other examples uh, on here, but they, they played uh, D&D as a very tactical game right it was it was a problem to be solved and that problem involved a lot of a lot of uh, strategic and tactical decision making and including long-term strategic planning right like uh you know the the dm during an off week would would plan uh potential scenarios and responses for um, you know a monster encounter right like the the, the monsters uh defending this this cave have drilled they have certain responses to certain set scenarios. They have alarm conditions. They have code words. They have like he sets it up like like you would if you're planning to rob a vault, yeah. right? And and then the yeah. players go into it thinking the same thing, right? They're they're gonna they're they're gonna find strategies that are outside this game. They're gonna work this out. And I'm just like, don't we just wait in there and murder things? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that is my brother's <laughs> boyfriend's preferred mode of play, and. Both my brother and myself have very similar um, orientations toward gameplay. And so 
even though we all enjoy the hobby, we tend not to play that many games with him because his preferred method is very much like this archetypal shadow run sort of like spend 90% of the session planning and then 10% of the session executing. And then your plan goes awry anyway, so you've wasted three hours on this plan that just completely goes sideways five seconds in. Yeah, I hate it. Yeah, that's not not the end. There's, I don't think there's any bad play styles. I think there are conflicting Actually, play styles. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Right. I know that that's not the answer for me. Right. So, Scott, but, I want to ask. I'll actually put you on the spot here. Because we, the first time we ever played together, if I'm correct, was when we started playing Porter's game. Like, I don't think we had played together before then. Had you listened to any of the shows? Like, did you have any idea who we were? Or was it completely blind I, for you? I had not. I, I, I rolled in blind. I, I think I listened to, like, one Table Topics to orient myself, maybe. That yeah. was it. I'd never listened to you guys play and never played with any of you. And I hadn't played with Porter in five years since, like, high school. Um, yeah. So uh, what would you think of that experience then, looking back? Uh, you know, I, uh, I thought it was great. I thought it was a good old time. Uh, I, I, I think it was... Uh, yeah, I, I think it worked well. I mean, I, I don't want to just blow smoke up your butt, right? But it, it was a good time. I'm still here. <laughs> that, that's true. That's, right? I, I, didn't, I didn't show myself the door, which uh, in chat they were just talking about how that's uh, an extremely convenient solution if, if player stuff isn't working out. If one of the players is just like nopes their way out, you're like, oh, well. Yep. Let's, let's not beat around the bush. Let's not lie. You are as a god unto us, Michael. You are perfect. <laughs> far, far <laughs> from it. Uh, but I still fondly remember Titty Butts. Um, I, I thought that was a really good game. That's Scott made a very, very positive impression um, with the way you role-played that character. We, we knew you were one of us at that point. Well, to, to, to be fair, that was another good example of me coming in with, with very uh, sort of different expectations than, than necessarily the game had, right? I was like, oh, this is going to be some next-level crap, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend uh, 60 hours, and I'm going to research like a, a reasonable backstory, including a culture and a unique like uh, racial background and, and, and all these historically intermixed things and, and, and try to listen to the language so I can work the accent out. And you like, we showed up to play future, like, uh, Apocalypse Cowboy and Indians. Like, yeah. I didn't but, – but it was fine. It was a great game. Yeah. Um, and of course, a Porter ran it, so it was obviously a great game. Yeah. Right? So good. Uh, and and then later, you ran a game for me. <laughs> no, no specifics about that one. A broken man stands before us. So, so this is this is interesting because I know I, I have said this several times, and whenever that game comes up, you do have some visceral reactions to it. But from an audience standpoint, I still think Secret Lies in the Undead was one of the best games we've ever put out. As players, maybe you didn't agree, but listening back to it even recently, I was really impressed. Like, that was a great game. You know, it, it, it was. It was, it was uh, it definitely, uh, having had more time between, uh, it, it did get a lot better. <laughs> When when I wasn't just immediately bitter, it 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 it, it my repeated inability to recognize that that you're you're just going to do the turnabout every time, every single time, right? Every new <laughs> session, it's it's like, oh, oh, how can Michael screw us on this? Like like because you will flip every one of those switches you have available, and and some that I couldn't think of, but others that I in fact did think of. While we walked in the door, you you told me later, right? Yeah, you said exactly what was going to happen at the end of this sarcastically, like that would be the worst case scenario, and then it happened. Yep. So. Again, I took the idea from a player and I used it in the game. So there you go. <sighs> Brutal. All right. So with that, we will go ahead and transition into everyone's favorite part of the show. Where have my fingers been? 
All right, Quinn, you are the guest. Would you like to be told where your fingers have been, or would you like to tell someone else where their fingers have been? Um, I will tell someone else where their fingers have been because where have my fingers been is actually an improv warm-up game that we do in San Diego improv culture, and I'm not sure if this is the same thing or not. So. Okay. No, it, it is. It's it, Well, uh, I don't know if you guys play it in a slightly different way because they're regionalized, but that it's where exactly. my fingers have been. All right. Uh, so, just uh, hmm. well, what we usually start with the song. I don't know how San Diego does. But we say, uh, "Where, where have my fingers, fingers been? Where, where have my fingers, fingers been? been?" Yeah, same song. Uh, <laughs> and then you tell somebody loading where. Loading bay of a space station. I'm sorry. <gasps> loading bay of a space station. Okay. Jeez, Merle, we're loading a lot of stuff today. Yep. Yep, I reckon. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of space battles going on lately. Yeah, yeah, there have. You don't suppose uh, we get hazard pay out of this, do you? For the Empire? <laughs> no. You know, those rebels got themselves a union. That's what this rebellion was all about. They get hazard pay. What? That's it. I'm joining the rebels. How, how do I go about that? Oh, all you have to do is be young and attractive and commit terrorist acts. Oh. Well, maybe no hazard pay is not so bad. And that's, <laughs> that's where, where my fingers, fingers have been. been. Yay! Uh, where have my fingers, fingers been? Where have your fingers been? Uh, a Detroit game convention. Hey, this is a really cool gaming convention. Yeah, but why the bleep is it in Detroit? And that's where my fingers have been. been. All right, Quinn. All righty. Uh, what's a good one? Uh, no, never mind. I, I was close, but then I was like, okay. Um, you are in line for a freshman orientation at a medieval college. I'm afraid that I'm not sure that I'm in the right place today, sir. Uh, I reckon you are. You look like you're about the right age. How old are you, what, 13? Yes, sir. I'm the oldest one in my family. The only one who made it this far. Wonderful. Sit down and shut up. We don't read books here. You're just going to listen to our talking, and you're going to go to sleep three hours a day. Oh, sir, that long is a blessing. Thank you so much. And that's where my fingers have been. Oh, fantastic. Uh, Short Mania 444 mentioned your accents. Yeah, anyone who doesn't know, Quinn is an amazing voice actor. Um, Again, it's just incredible what he's able to do. Um, So do you want to give us a quick primer? I'll put you on the spot. Like someone who wants to do that and get good at voices, what are some tips? Yeah, so two things. Um, Number one, parrot. Uh, I was an awkward kid and I spent a lot of time like watching things and then just repeating back things that I had heard and trying to figure out how those worked, what made those sound that way. Um, and just like trying that over and over and over again until it clicked. And number two is, and this is going to sound a little bit weird, but explore your voice figure out where you're articulating from 
and then sort of play around with where exactly in your mouth your voice is coming from so that you can figure out different ways and combinations to change the pitch and tone of your voice without necessarily just articulating from the same way and then just going gruffer or just going lighter. So it it's weird and it's a very personal thing. I can't necessarily explain exactly how uh, like all the methods I use to explore my own like vocal articulation and the ways that people internally experience that might be different. But if you're like on a car ride where like nothing's on the radio or you turn the radio off or like you're in the shower, you know, like downtime, just take time to explore what your vocal instrument can do and how you can modulate that. Very, very cool. But yeah, so anyone who wants to hear some amazing voice work, if you've not already started listening to Swallows of the South, go do that now because it's awesome. And not just Quinn, the, the people on your show as well. Uh, many of them are very talented improvers and voice actors as well. I'm very, very lucky. Yes. All right. So we will move into cryptozoology. This is where we take a look at a monster, talk about ways maybe we've used it in the past, maybe the lore around it, and brainstorm some ways that we can uh, use it in the future. Now, Quinn, you said you didn't really have anything that was sticking out to you earlier, but is there a monster you want to talk about? Uh, not really, especially if we're going to talk about the, the vein of Dungeons and Dragons. This is the part where my incredibly facile knowledge of certain elements of Dungeons and Dragons comes to the forefront. Um, I didn't really get that into D&D, like, until 5th edition. I played a lot of other games and dabbled in some other editions here and there. And for the most part, when I was running games, I would very liberally reskin things. So... Uh, yeah, I, I have a a passable knowledge of stuff, but I don't have a deep ingrained sense of the lore for various creatures in the same way that I do for some other settings. Well, so I'm 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 all a big fan of of reskinning, hundred uh, percent. But uh, when you mentioned that that uh, you know you have kind of an absence of knowledge and and that that, that you don't have a preference, uh, I think the only monster that comes to mind is the Voidwalker. Right? A monster about nothingness. I am not familiar with that one. So what can you tell me about the Voidwalker? Uh, the, they're uh, slender humanoids standing about six feet tall, gray skin, black eyes, no hair on its head. They're basically the, the, the gray space aliens that, that uh, you don't want to see, right? Um, they're evil extraplanar entities. Uh, they're uh, highly reskinnable into whatever kind of elf other uh, things you want them to be, I'd say. Um, generally, they have uh, creepy magical abilities as extra planers, right? And they, uh, they have, uh, in different editions, they would have the void subtype, which would give you weird powers or make you immune to a bunch of crap. Um, uh, yeah, they're, they're weird. Long story short. Okay. So, again, not being familiar with that off the bat, the, the thing that comes to my mind first is usually when you talk about planar creatures in D&D, it, it feels to me like it's something that is somewhat well-known, at least in the adventuring group or the powerful wizards. Like, they know there are other dimensions or other planes. But you could kind of reskin that more of almost like a sci-fi story, even think maybe Stranger Things, where something comes across and it's completely unknown and completely alien, and it's a matter of, like, how do you get it back 
not necessarily like, hey, let's just, you know, cast a spell and we'll jump through the nine realms, but just like, where the bleep did this come from? Like the things that it can do, it's like it can move in four dimensions or whatever, that kind of thing. Uh, I think that would be an interesting take on how to use any sort of extra planar creature, particularly a, maybe a void walker. Yeah, it's, 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 it'd be a, a, a great uh, application of, of uh, uh, that show. It was just on the tip of my tongue that we love. We both love it. It's about that creepy thing. That's, Stranger that's, Things. Yes, you mentioned it like 10 seconds ago. Yeah. It's a perfect uh, application of a Stranger Things-like scenario, right? Like something creepy crawly, and, and the point is that it's a mystery. It's not like, oh, we're just going to stab it, and then it's going to die. Um, it's, it's more of a, like a thematic puzzle kind of thing. Uh, yeah, um, it sounds, based on your description, like that's very much what it lends itself to. It lends itself to be something that is a slow rollout. This is probably going to be a if nothing else, like a session-long sort of creature that you sort of toy around with and hint toward before really hitting what it is. It's something that you can use as a suspense-building tool, and creatures like that are generally pretty underrated. It's it's basically like like the first two-thirds of Signs before they completely ruin it and show you the aliens, then yes. give you a really easy way to defeat them. Uh, yes. Um... So I think part of it comes down to is, is how did the creature get to our world? Was it a malicious intent? Like, did they try to come here because they want resources or food or fuel or whatever? Uh, were they sent here? Maybe it's like a our world becomes like a prison, like a, an advanced civilization's like, get this guy out of here. Put him there. I don't care. Those are a bunch of morons. Um, or did it get across accidentally? And it's more like an actual animal. It doesn't have a lot of, you know, malicious thought or, or cunning, but it's trying to stay alive. It's trying to eat, but it has these abilities because it comes from the other plane that make it, you know, again, the slow build. You could go into a village and everyone's dead. And, you know, again, maybe their eyeballs were sucked out or the brain was sucked out through their eye hole. Some weird application that you could, you know, talk about. But there's really no evidence of what happened. It's just something that you come across and then four sessions later, it happens again, type of a thing. Yeah, my preference if I approach something like that will usually be to take it and put it in a situation where it probably was stranded there accidentally and is probably trying to find its way home. I probably would allow it a sense of um, sapience. I would probably have it be relatively high-functioning, but maybe lacking the communicative skills to interact with people as it would need to effectively and potentially, even if it is lost and scared and just trying to find its way back home, coming from a background of various cultural assumptions that make it doing culturally normative things that might seem monstrous to outside observers. And you could go full-on E.T. and where it's a benign creature... And there's like paladins of the holy order of whatever want to kill it. Or again, a powerful wizard's like, oh, I can use this thing to break open the nine realms or whatever. So it's literally like you have to protect this thing and try to get it home and keep it away from the man, the establishment government situation. I, I feel like this, um, this, this, this whole stuff, the, this whole idea is gold, right? The, 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 the conflict of, of do you kill it? Do you not kill it? Uh, but it does remind me of, of one's very specific instance that a friend ran where he was trying to evoke that emotion and it just fell flat on its face mm -hmm. that, that we were like, we went into town. It was like random quest on the board, right? Someone had an exclamation point over their head and, and they were like, oh, the troll's been uh, terrifying people on the road, right? Uh, by this bridge, right? And so uh, we, we just walked up to the bridge, saw the troll, it was like, and we killed it. 
right? Uh, and, and then we went through its personal things and it had like little dolls and like notes and, you know, little like belongings. And none of the players gave a crap, yeah. right? Like it was a monster. It jumped out and roared. We killed we, it. Yeah, exactly. And uh, the DM was really buttered. He had like this whole backstory about he's just a sweet troll and he's smarter than average. He's trying to scare people away because he's more afraid of you than you are of him. And, uh, you know. See, um, that can be very, very difficult to pull off. And parts of me, when I try to execute on stuff like that, Interrupting the flow of combat in a game like D&D can be very, very difficult. So, like, once it escalates to a combat point, it can be very difficult. But you also don't necessarily want the troll to, like, jump out and scream, like, Boo, I'm scaring you because I'm trying to protect my daughter Maria who lives in here with me. And also my wife left me three years ago and I'm very sad. (laughs) Hmm. Um, Or to have him whisper that in his dying breath to make you feel guilty. (laughs) Yes. Like, that's things, if you kill it first and then learn, that's just a, mic, I mean, a screw you situation. Um, you have to give them some sort of instant hint so that they have a choice in the matter before they do something. Right. Hmm. All right. Well, I think that will do it for cryptozoology. So we will wrap up as we usually do with our question and answer segment. But again, the question that we are going to start asking all of our guests is if you were an action figure... What mm-hmm. three accessories would come in your package? Oh boy. Um that is a good question. I'm gonna say glasses, because I need my glasses. Um a D ten, because that's that's an important die. It's the best and one. Then, um a sketchbook, because I also do a lot of art. Very, very cool. All right, Scott, how about you, sir? What would come in your accessories package? Uh, I would say a beard comb to because it's, you know, the action figure obviously has lifelike growing beard. Yeah, um, it's like a Chia Pet situation. Exactly. And then and then uh, a, a bag full of uh, guilt and unresolved issues, <laughs> like luggage, really. I guess accessory luggage, yeah. baggage, really. And uh, then if, if there was a third thing, it would definitely be a, a jetpack that doesn't work. But uh, you put it on, and then the action figure just runs and makes whoosh, whoosh noises. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, so Shortmanian444 was asking uh, if we are excited for Xanthar's Guide to Everything. If you're not aware, it's a new D&D 5e supplement that's coming out that has a bunch of new player options, spells, character cl- uh, subclasses, I believe, updated, think that kind of thing. Um, it's like a potpourri book? Sort of. It, I think it's like it's probably the first big major update to player options for fifth edition. There's been the Unearth Arcana, but those are all just sort of like kind of play testy stuff. This will all be, right. as far as I understand, legal for like Adventures League play and that kind of thing. Oh, uh, it's a hundred percent player supplement. I, I believe so. Yes. Uh, PB dragon 83 calls you Chia Scott. Um, so I, I don't know. Like I, cause I, I, it's hard for me to say, like I'm, I'm all for more options. But I'm the type of DM that I don't care what the players play. Like I don't, I hardly ever ask what class they are. I don't know what spells they're preparing. I don't know what their abilities are, because that's not how I prepare games. I don't prepare them based off what they can do. I create a scenario that I think fits the world, and I just assume they'll find a way to figure it out. Um, so, and I don't get to play a whole lot anymore. So I definitely will pick it up. 
but I don't know that I'm excited for it. Yeah, um, I like little pieces of uh, expanded content. Obviously, I have a tendency to take things and just liberally reskin them. Um, that being said, I do like fluff a lot. I'm very, very much into world and culture building. Um, look to the backlog of various podcasts I have, including episodes of Detention and episodes of the Modifier podcast, where I talk about world building and cultural development. Um, and it can be nice to see what they're laying out in terms of hints in spells as written, little pieces of fluff description, and class write-ups and stuff that can um, be used as interesting fuel for that sort of thing. And I'm not going to lie, there is something that's relatively satisfying to me on a visceral level about opening up to a class spread and looking at like the class art and the table for their level progression up to 20 and reading all of that stuff. Like it can be a fun, exciting, visceral feeling, even if it never really propels me to the table. Um, so I, I will enjoy it, but it might not necessarily be as a play tool, especially not for the time being where most of my gaming is going into recording and that that is not is a game of blue rose that I'm playing. So I want to play that so bad. It's good. It's yeah. very good. So I'm a big fan of fantasy age. Like I've, I've been really enjoyed that system. And I also am a big fan of that romantic drama. Like again, Mercedes Lackey, I grew up reading those books. I love them. So yeah. I, I think that game will and be right up my alley. It fits my wheelhouse pretty well as people who listen to swallows know, um, like, it's very, very inclusivity forward, which is a huge, big deal for me. Um, and so it touches on a lot of interesting, like, um, like gender and sexuality politics. And, like, the world building is very, very interesting in the way that they have elements interplay. So that's very much right up my alley. And I'm enjoying it a lot. So, so, so for those of us who maybe have never heard of this, where could we find out more? Xanthar's uh, Guard or Blue Rose? No, the Blue Rose. I, okay. I know where to uh, find Xanthar's Guard. Go to Wizards of the Hab, you know, that uh, thing. You should go. Is it published by Green Ronin? I think it's I believe so, yeah. Because this and, is technically like the second edition. There was a, a earlier edition that was not Fantasy Age. This is the Fantasy or Age version of Blue Rose. That would explain the Wikipedia article I found, which I was like, this can't be what they're talking about. This is way like. It was made in 2005, but it looks like the 70s exploded all over it. Yeah, no. Uh, Jeremy Crawford wrote the original, was like the lead designer. This is an updated version that Green Ronin publishes. And if you want to just purchase it directly, it is available for purchase and download on drivethroughrpg.com. Dot com. And if you go to our website first, we have an affiliate link, and we actually get a small percentage of what you pay if you buy there. Which uh, affiliate link. Um, and then I wanted to mention again, Xanthar's Guide, just because the only character I'm playing right now is Army. Uh, so I hope there's a subclass in there about being like a retail salesperson, and I definitely would go for that. Gling, 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 gling. <sighs> There's um, a short manian444 in the chat asks if we're planning on running any Halloween games soon. And I will jump in and say that, that the Lawful and Orderly Season 3 finale on this very Twitch channel on Monday nights is scheduled for uh, the, the day after, the day before Halloween, however that works out. 
um, the, that that Monday. And so uh, we're, we're probably going to put a lot of Halloween themes in it. And we're going to release the Lawful and Orderly podcast uh, feed, uh, dedicated feed, because we put way too much garbage content out because we don't audio edit nearly as much as, as uh, Michael does. But um, we're going to release that at the same time. And we have a couple weird Halloween-y sort of episodes mixed in that have taken the place of other fuller episodes when people can't show. So, Yeah. Uh, for Swallows of the South... Fuck. Uh, thanks to our lovely backers on Patreon, we actually were able to put together a special Halloween episode for this year, which is going to be released in the next couple of weeks. It's already been recorded. We are playing Dread with uh, Josette, Chanel, and Spencer Amrine from our Flavortown episodes. It is in the canon of the main Swallow story and tells a story of a very interesting and secluded bunch of people when a familiar and threatening figure returns to take something from them. Dun, dun, so look forward to dun. that. Uh, so I am dropping the big old ball here. We had scheduled a trial of Tales from the Loop, and that was going to be our Halloween episode. And then that, that fell through. The person that was running it got uh, work issues and has had to postpone it. So now we are not going to be able to play it in time for me to edit and get it out for Halloween. Um, so right now I got nothing, but I got a couple weeks to go. Last year we did a Scooby-Doo Savage World game, which was great. I really, it was really so enjoyed, great. Yeah, I really enjoyed that a lot. Um, but right now I got nothing. So no promises. Sorry. Maybe you'll just have to do a surprise guest star on Lawful and Orderly, which you've never oh, done. Yeah. I have never done that. I'm a little bit intimidated by I'm your uh, uh, play style. <laughs> so, what, what does that mean? Am I doing it wrong? No, oh, no, no, no. But it's very improv um, focused, and then like where people just make up NPCs or they take over the roles of an NPC. Um, I would just be kind of intimidated. I'll, I'll certainly do it, but I'm a little intimidated by it. Even though you, you almost always are DM and that's your job is to take over the role of NPCs. Yes. But okay. usually it's just for like a very short period of time. And I can like third person that thing. Oh, well, you talk to them for five minutes and you learn this and then move on. Like I don't have to actually give them personalities all the time. I'm really bad at that part where I just like glossed over stuff. <laughs> I'm always jumping too deep in. I will also posit the potentiality that the true horror is going through a year where you don't get to experience any custom Halloween content from the RPG Academy. And that's the scariest thing of all. That is. But I will leave us on a positive note because I, one of the more recent episodes I recorded with Caleb, I was talking about what my kids wanted to be for Halloween. And my youngest, Jacob, wanted to be the poop emoji. And I was a failure as a parent. But uh, I'm very happy to say, and this was not me, I did not make this happen, but we have now decided that John Gabriel is going to go as Indiana Jones and Jacob is going to go as the boulder and chase him around. That's brilliant. I know. You should be so proud of yourself. I'm so excited. Excited about that much more than the poop emoji, let me tell you. So, <laughs> all right. Well, thanks to everyone in chat who's been hanging out with us. Really appreciate you uh, asking questions and just chatting. Makes the show so much better. Uh, thank you so much to Quinn for joining us tonight, being our special guest. Scott, thank thanks you for, for uh, you know, fighting through the vehicle issues and flats and all that kind of good thing. Uh, really appreciate it. So before we go, uh, Quinn, where can people find you on the internet? 
You can find me on Twitter at MonkeyPieQuinn. That is M-O-N-K-I-P-I-Q-U-I-N-N. If the name that comes up when you hit enter on your search bar is Brutal Worm, then you're in the right place. Uh, otherwise, I am at swallowsofthesouth.com, where you can find our podcast that we produce for the RPG Academy. You can also look for Red Eyes White Saber on any sort of podcatcher of choice. That's a review podcast that I do with Dan Enders, where we uh, make up fake entries in the Thrawn trilogy of Star Wars and review those books piece by piece. It's a lot of fun. Um <laughs> You can find me on the System Mastery Podcast uh, and just everywhere. Usually, my Twitter's a good place to go because I'll tell you when I'm showing up on things. I'm a very busy person. And you'll be at a catacon. I will. You can find me there. I'm running both of the games that I wrote for a catacon. So if you would like to play Flavortown or Queer Fantasy Road Trip, uh, you know, look at those slots. Hopefully you can make it. <laughs> Very, very cool. All right, Scott, where can people find more of your work on the internet? Uh, I am at G-O-W-T-F on Twitter, and uh, you can always find me here at the RPG Academy. I'm, I'm uh, up until recently. I was a regular on detention. Apparently, I got well-behaved in the last month and also work commutes crushing my evenings with yeah. this uh, time change, but uh, that's that's good. Otherwise, uh, you can find me every uh, Monday night on the RPG Academy Twitch channel and uh, for Lawful and Orderly, which, which is... Uh, this little thing that I enjoy doing. And uh, also, you can find me anywhere you invite me because I like to be included. And you will also be at a catacon. Oh, well, of course. I mean, who's not? Everyone's going to be <laughs> at a catacon. Along with, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be a good time. Come find us all at a catacon. All right. And for myself, I am Michael at the RPG Academy on Twitter. Uh, that's where I'm most vocal. If anything that you want to know what I'm doing, I'm going to constantly be talking about it there. And before we go, let's give a quick shout out to uh, faculty member Matt Parody, who is a new father. Oh, congratulations. Baby girl born, I think just two days ago, Alice Gwendolyn Prody, I believe. Uh, hopefully I didn't screw that up. Matt, uh, congratulations. And, uh, Welcome to fatherhood, man. It's, it's a wild ride, but it, uh, it's amazing. It's amazing. So anyways, we got to do our awkward wave out while I try to figure out where the button is. So just uh, thank you. Thank you. Getting close. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out the RPGacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the drive RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. 
We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media such as Facebook and Google Plus at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. <laughs>